We all want a happy life, and there are thousands of opinions about what will help get you there. So why does it seem like so few people are actually finding true happiness? This series explores why happiness is so elusive and how our relationship with God leads to the contentment that we all desire. Here's today's teaching. When you think of epic, soul-stirring, goosebumps-on-your-skin kind of inspirational speeches, what comes to mind for you? If you like Shakespeare, the classic speech in Shakespeare comes from his play, Henry V. And the situation is that King Henry has gathered his remaining English troops. They're in a vicious battle with the French army. And they are beaten down. They are discouraged. They have lost so many soldiers. And they are looking at the opposing army and they just think there's no hope. There's no way we're going to win. And then King Henry comes in and gives them this incredible speech and uh, rallies the day. And they win the day on the battlefield. Once more unto the breach, dear friends, once more. Or close the wall up with our English dead. In peace, there's nothing so becomes a man as modest stillness and humility. But when the blast of war blows in our ears, then imitate the action of the tiger. Stiffen the sinews, summon up the blood. Exchange fair nature with hard favored rage. And the troops rallied and they won the battle. Shakespeare, he's a good writer, I've noticed. I don't know if anyone else has noticed that, but I think he's pretty good. All right, something else a little closer to our time period, the movie Braveheart. A lot of people love it, a lot of people hate it. It's terribly historically inaccurate, uh, but it was extremely successful as a movie. It actually won five Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Uh, it was made for $70 million, took in $213 million, and over the years, it's kind of become a real part of pop culture. And the movie centers on William Wallace, who kind of rose up as a commoner to lead the Scottish people. And the situation of this speech is that there's been lots of little battles, and Wallace has been very successful, and there's been rumors circulating about Wallace, and he's this amazing military leader. And uh, so all the soldiers from the various clans gather at this place called Stirling Bridge. And it's one of the hilarious things of the movie. It's the Battle of Stirling Bridge. And in the movie, there's no bridge. <laughs> one of the reviewers said, pretty good movie, could have used a bridge. So all the soldiers are there, they're gathered, and they look across the valley and they see this incredible English army. It is vastly better equipped. They have better swords, they have better shields, they've got armor, and they had cavalry. They had mounted knights on horses, of which the Scots have none. And they look across and you can just see them shrink. They just go, oh, this is impossible. And that's when Wallace rides up with his commanders. And a lot of the soldiers hadn't actually seen Wallace face to face at this point. They'd only heard the rumors. And one soldier yells out, that can't be William Wallace. William Wallace is seven feet tall. 
And everyone kind of laughs, and he goes, I am William Wallace. And he says, I see before me a whole army of my countrymen. You're here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men, and free men you are, but what will you do with that freedom? Will you fight? And one soldier kind of near the front steps out, and he looks at that vast English army. He goes, fight against that? No. We will run, and we will live. And that's when Wallace gives this incredible speech. I can't do it without attempting a Scottish accent, so if you are from Scotland this morning, I'm just going to apologize right off the top. Wallace says, I fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. I'll be signing autographs later. Thank you. Now, maybe you're a teenager here this morning and you're listening and you go, Darren, sure, those are inspirational speeches in kind of a war type setting. But you're like, I go to high school. That's really not the world I live in. My biggest concerns are our self-image, the way social media portrays, the, the pressure to look and dress in a certain way to, to kind of have a certain type of body image. You got any inspirational quotes about that? That's a great question. Yes, in fact, I do. This one comes from Olivia Rodrigo. She was Time Magazine's 2021 Entertainer of the Year, and this is what she has to say. She said, social media is not always a true reflection of real life and absolutely no place to judge your worth. Those are pretty wise words. Well done, Olivia. Now, the Bible is actually the original, ultimate source for every inspiration. Everything else draws upon it. Our passage today is in Acts chapter 20. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open to Acts chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 17. And what we're going to encounter is a speech by the Apostle Paul. Now the situation is that Paul has been in the city of Ephesus. And he's been there for two and a half to three years. And that was longer than Paul stayed in almost any other place he went on all of his missionary journeys. And scholars have asked, so why did Paul stay there? Why, why did he spend so much time in one place? Well, Paul figured out that this city of Ephesus was completely strategic. If there could be an amazing, strong church planted in the city of Ephesus, it would reach the entire Roman province of Asia. And so Paul stayed there. And as Paul saw people come to Christ and as, as a leadership team formed and as they planted a church, Paul labored day after day with this group of incredible elders and leaders. And Paul became so close with them. They, they endured so much together. 
Finally, at the end of that time, Paul went off and he went off to Macedonia and Greece and he did all this incredible missionary journeys. Uh, God used him in incredible ways. Uh, miracles happen. Uh, he, of course, Paul gets run out of towns and cities. His life is threatened. And after a year and a half, he finally comes back to this port city of Miletus. And he sends a messenger up to Ephesus. He says, can you guys please come down? And so all the leaders of this church in Ephesus, his amazing friends that he hasn't seen for a year and a half. Now, if it was just that, we would know that these words that Paul tells them would be pretty poignant. But the Holy Spirit has actually revealed to Paul that this is the last time he's ever going to see his friends, these fellow church elders. The Holy Spirit has revealed that Paul is going to go to Jerusalem there's going to be a riot, Paul's going to be imprisoned, and he's going to be imprisoned for about two years in Caesarea, and then off on a ship, and he's eventually going to go to Rome and testify before Caesar. So this is it. This is the last words Paul will ever say to these people. And I think that's why they carry such gravity, such importance. Verse 17 it says, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And then skipping down to verse 33, it says this, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's an amazing speech, and the first theme we see in it is faithfulness. As I said, Paul spent much longer here in Ephesus than he did anywhere else. When Paul first arrived in Ephesus, he started preaching in the Jewish synagogue. Paul often did that. It says these words in the previous chapter, 19, verse 8 and 9. It says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of the Jews became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way, the Christian way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So Paul essentially has such an amazing heart for his fellow Jews. He says, we're going to start with this synagogue. The gospel needs to go to God's people, the Jews, first and he labored there for three months. But he became very successful. He was starting to convince many of the Jews that this is the Messiah you've been waiting for. Jesus is it. He's the promised one. 
people are starting to come to faith, and the Jews get very angry and upset. And so they went out and publicly tried to discredit this church that was starting in Ephesus. And the Apostle Paul essentially says, all right, you want to go public? Then let's really go public. And Paul found this place called the Lecture Hall of Tyrannus. I looked it up, and the archaeological ruins in Ephesus, you can still see the remains of this place. There was the massive Colosseum where 20,000 people could gather, and uh, 500 meters down the street is this Lecture Hall of Tyrannus. Now, Paul became very, very successful as he was explaining and promoting and preaching the gospel, and people started to come to faith in record numbers. Now, that's a really good thing from our perspective, but from the city of Ephesus, that was not such a good thing, and here's why. Ephesus was famous for its temple to the pagan god, goddess Artemis. The, the temple was so massive and so grand and so ornate, it is considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So just like Victoria depends on tourism for a good part of our economy here in this city, Ephesus re relied on religious tourism. And a lot of the things that tourists in Ephesus would spend their money on is these little silver idols of the goddess Artemis. And they made lots and lots of money, and there was lots of people involved in the trade. As Paul was so successful, and the church is growing, people are coming to faith, sales of little silver idols are plummeting. They're crashing, and they get really upset. You're killing our livelihood. And so the Jews, along with these silver artists, silversmiths start this massive uproar in the city. It moves into the giant Colosseum, and almost 20,000 people started screaming, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Went on for over two hours, and everyone in the city was completely freaked out because they know if this develops into a full-blown riot, the Roman army is going to come in, and it will be a bloodbath. And so this politician gets up and tries to calm the crowd and eventually disperses. And I tell you all that backstory because when the Apostle Paul says these words, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. When Paul says those words, they are not said flippantly or lightly. What stands behind that is three years of incredible struggle. Paul was a really smart guy. A lot of people don't realize, but Paul had the equivalent of the first, in the first century of a PhD today. He was an extremely smart guy. But Paul didn't just use his head. Paul used his heart. It says that he served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Paul was literally weeping on his pillow at night, longing for his fellow Jewish people to realize that Jesus is the Messiah, that to come to faith in him, he is the fulfillment. When we first meet Paul in the book of Acts, he is a zealous persecutor of the church. He is a Jewish Pharisee, and we see this tragic scene where he gives full approval to the death of the very first Christian martyr in history, a man named Stephen. And Paul was there, happy, 
that, they were, that he was being killed. And then Jesus reaches Paul. It's this massive, dramatic turnaround. And here we go all these years later, and Paul is the one being persecuted. But he doesn't kind of hold on to his rights and doesn't, doesn't push back. Instead, he is weeping for his fellow Jews. What a testimony to what God can do in a person's life. And if, Paul, if God can do that for Paul, God can do that for you and for I as well. Paul says that his preaching to the Jews and to the non-Jewish world centered around the good news of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.19 summarizes it like this. It says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. What an amazing picture of the love of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God expressed into Jesus. Jesus, who was born into poverty, danger, disgrace. Jesus grew up to live the perfect life. He taught like no one had ever taught before. He performed amazing miracles. And then he chose down to lay down his life so that you and I would never, ever have our sins counted against us. Pastor Sean has been preaching about the central news of the gospel and how it gives us as followers of Christ an incredible sense of freedom. Freedom from guilt, shame, and despair. And it replaces that with confident expectation both in this life and in the life to come. If you think of it in emojis, we all love emojis. We send them on our phones. If you think of it in emojis, Paul is using his head, his heart, and his voice. He's serving God with those three things. And then, as I read in verse 33 to 35, Paul also practiced his trade of tent making because he didn't want anyone to say, the whole reason you are here and the whole reason you're trying to plant a church is because you want an easy life. You just want to live off other people's work. And Paul's like, nope, no, no, no. I am going to be self-supporting so that that takes away that element. And so Paul, again, if we express it in emojis, he was such a testimony of these people in both of his hard work and his commitment not to covet, not to want what others have for himself unfairly. Now, the Apostle Paul is an amazing example to us 2,000 years later. In a few short verses, he's actually laid out how to live the Christian life. We're to God, honor God with our head, our heart, our voice, our hands, our hard work, and we're not to covet. But here's the crucial thing, Central Baptist Church, this morning. I don't want us to look at the example of the Apostle Paul and go, that is awesome. Those are five great characteristics. I want to try to live like that. And I'm going to do that by, by digging deep into my well of personal willpower and that reservoir of energy and strength. And I'm just going to try really hard to live up to Paul's example. You can do that for a while. And everyone goes through a stage in their Christian life where they try to do that. You can do that for a while on your own strength, but guaranteed you will always run out of power. You will inevitably 
have a stupid moment in life where you don't use your head. You go through a season where you're emotionally burnt out and your heart simply does not care. You have many times when you should be using your voice and speaking up at work or in a social setting, but the words couldn't come out. You failed to get the message out. You failed to stand up for Christ. You can do things for a while on your own strength, but nobody is able to keep it up over a lifetime. Now, here's the amazing part. The same guy, Paul, who wrote this, gave this amazing speech in Acts 20 is also the guy who would go on to write some incredible verses in every single one of his letters to the churches that tell us the secret of the Christian life. And over and over again, Paul says, Here's, here it is, folks. It's not just you trying really, really hard. It's Christ in you. Colossians 1.29 says these amazing words. It says, verse 28, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that you present everyone fully mature in Christ. And then verse 29, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. That has actually become my favorite verse. After working in churches for 27 years, that verse has increasingly meant more and more and more to me. A few years ago, while I was lead pastor at Ocean View, I went through a, a period of time, and, uh, and I was simultaneously dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, which was enough to stress any pastor out, I had this incredibly brutal and serious time of conflict, and on top of that, I was trying to take this church governance course that turned out to be a ton of work with weekly assignments, all this kind of stuff, as well as just the average stuff of trying to be a good husband to my wife, Lori, trying to be a good father to our two daughters, Callista and Malia. There were so many moments during that period of time where I absolutely thought, I am going to lose my mind. I am so exhausted. My tank is so depleted. And yet, I have to get up there and preach every single week. And so many times, I remember Saturday night, I'd be practicing going over my sermon. I'd, be, I'd put my notes down and be like, Lord, I have nothing. I am empty. I am drained. I have got zero energy and strength to do this. And I would get up Sunday mornings, have my little cup of coffee, get ready, off I'd go. And as I was driving to church, I would pray Colossians 1.29. Lord, I would say, if it's just me this morning, this is going to be the worst sermon ever. No one's going to be changed. Nothing's going to happen. I am so dependent on you this morning. I said, Lord, I need, as your word promises, your energy to powerfully work in me. And here's the amazing thing. That period of my life went on for month after month after month. But my absolute miracle, Central Baptist Church, is that God answered that prayer every single Sunday. And somehow, I don't even know how it happened, I would get up to preach. It was like my mind became clear, my energy filled up, 
And I was able to preach with passion and energy. Unbelievable. It was totally my weekly miracle. Now, you're a mature and biblically well-informed congregation, so you're like, all right, Darren, are you building this whole concept on just one verse? That is a great question. No, no, I'm not. Uh, the Apostle Paul said this same kind of concept in a bunch of different ways. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, this is what it says. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. What a beautiful verse. Philippians 4.13, Paul says these words. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And finally, as Sean beautifully prayed in his prayer this morning, Ephesians 1, 19 through 20, says these words. And his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. What an incredible testimony. The Apostle Paul lived out what he wrote. So what is my point today? I want us to be faithful like Paul. I want us to serve Jesus with our head, our heart, our voice, our hands, and our hard work. And I don't want us to covet what is not rightfully ours. I want us to be faithful just like Paul was, but not to do it on our own strength, but rather in total reliance on the Holy Spirit of God and Christ in us. Paul's example is amazing for us, and I love that epic speech. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. Paul walked this out, and they could nod their heads and testify, yeah, that's what you lived when you were with us. And when I think about it, there is a God-given dream deep within each and every one of our hearts. We want our lives to matter. We want our lives to count. We want to make a difference in this world and for the people around us. But here's the amazing thing. God doesn't always require us to give a rousing speech to a discouraged army. He doesn't always want us to be the Apostle Paul. What does God require of us? He requires us to be faithful to be faithful in those five beautiful ways, head, heart, voice, work. We began this sermon by looking at two epic speeches, the one from Shakespeare, the one from Braveheart. And I want to show you a picture of this guy. His name is Randall Wallace, and he's actually the man who wrote the screenplay for the movie Braveheart. He's a not distantly related to William Wallace. He's an American fellow. But he wrote this screenplay, and years later, he was interviewed in a magazine, and he, they were asking him all about writing this screenplay and this immortal speech, and this is what he had to say. He said, my first day on set was the day that speech was delivered. He said, if you can picture beautiful green fields, he says, we filmed a lot of it in Ireland, and he said, you can imagine there were 2,000 extras on set that day as soldiers. 
2,000 people. That's a lot of people on a movie set. And he says, Mel Gibson comes riding out. He's got blue war paint on his face. He's got his kilt. He's got all this stuff. And he goes, a hush fell over this massive crowd of 2,000 extras. Never mind the camera operators, the sound people, all those kind of people involved in making this movie. And Mel Gibson starts into his speech You've come to fight as free men. What will you do with that freedom? Will you fight? And Randall Wallace told this magazine years later, he said that the words in that speech proved so inspiring that this group of 2,000 extras, remember, they are just a bunch of extras being paid for the day to fight a fake battle. But that speech inspired them so much, they all stood up and started screaming, we'll do it, we'll kill them all. (laughs) They had to like eventually calm them down. And Randall Wallace said, you know what that said to me watching that scene? He said, when words are true and they hit the human part, it goes, it became real. And I thought about that as I was working on this sermon and comparing that to the speech of the Apostle Paul, and I thought, if a historically inaccurate, made-up speech to a bunch of 2,000 extras who are pretending to be soldiers can inspire that much passion, how about you and I listening to the true words of Paul's final speech before he's imprisoned? Pretty amazing. And I want to say this morning to every student who's in high school, tomorrow morning, you're going to go to school. You got all your assignments, your schoolwork, your math, your English, all that stuff. That's a challenge in and of itself. But you got the social scene of high school to navigate. And I want to say to you high school kids, do not forget Philippians 14, 4.13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. To our young adults here at Central Baptist Church that I get the privilege of working with, you're going to go to work tomorrow, or you're going to go to UVic or Camosun. You're going to maybe off to a work team, work term. And you are meant to represent Christ in those situations with your head, your heart, your voice, your hard work. I do not want you to go out there just trying really hard. I want you to remember those incredible words of Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. Moms and dads who are at home taking a turn looking after kids, you are going through your day and for about the 900th time you've had the question, but why? It's so easy as a parent in those moments just to get so frustrated. But I want you in your work of raising children to remember Colossians 1.29, that you can do all this through Christ. You can work strenuous. You can work hard with all the energy that he gives you. For our working adults, maybe you're off to work tomorrow morning. You've got projects, deadlines. You've got so much work. You're thinking, I have no idea how I'm ever going to get this done. For some of our older, wiser seniors here, you have got so much passion, so much energy. You want to do so many things, and yet you're encountering health problems. You're encountering challenges that just seem to sap your energy into you, I say don't ever forget the words of 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 
Even when we feel weak, Christ gives us his power and he is glorified even in our weakness. And as we close this morning, I want to say to all of us, myself included, that desire deep in our hearts to live an epic life, to make a difference in this world, is a God-given dream. And we are meant to pursue it, but it is not in our own strength alone. It is in the energy that Christ so powerfully works in us. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings in person or online. For more information about who we are and what's happening at the church, visit us online at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast.